from the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida. This is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. An asteroid some 50 million miles away is spewing pebble and rock-sized debris off its surface, and scientists don't really know why. The findings are the latest from a robotic spacecraft on a mission to visit the asteroid. OSIRIS-REx took images of the surface of the asteroid Bennu, spewing these particles into space, and some are raining back down on the rocky surface. The spacecraft is set to fly close to the surface of the asteroid, collect a sample of the particles, and send it back to Earth. The reason? Well, planetary scientists hope findings from Bennu can uncover how our solar system formed. But those initial findings, especially the observations of the asteroid belching debris into space, are raising even more questions about asteroids than we had before the mission. So joining us in the studio is University of Central Florida's Umberto Campins. He's a co-investigator on the OSIRIS-REx mission and a member of the science team. He joins us now to talk about those newest findings and those questions investigators still have. Well, joining us is Umberto Campins. He's a professor of physics and astronomy at UCF and the head of the planetary science group there. Umberto, thanks for speaking with us. My pleasure. We're looking right now in the studio at, at a gorgeous image um, from the surface. Tell me, tell me what I'm looking at here. Yeah, this is a uh, projected uh, two-dimensional image of the surface of asteroid Bennu. And in it, you can see that it has... Lots of boulders. Mm -hmm. So we expected the surface to be covered uh, with a layer of mostly centimeter-sized gravel. And it turns out that when we got there, we found out that this thing has got meter to tens of meter-sized boulders. And so it makes the selection of a site to go down and uh, do the sampling a little more challenging than we had anticipated, but we are hopeful that um, we will find those sites. We have several candidate sites, mm-hmm. and we're going to go and characterize those sites in more detail to select the ideal one for going down with the spacecraft and doing what's called the touch-and-go maneuver. The tag, right? Yeah, tag. We we touch the surface for five seconds. It's kind of a pogo stick that touches the surface for five seconds, collects the sample, and brings it back into a capsule for a return to Earth. Mm-hmm. Now, you have, or, or planetary scientists have made observations of Bennu for the past few years now, right, using radio telescopes um, like the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico. Um, but this this is kind of the first up-close look at the surface, right? That is correct. This is the result of what we call the preliminary survey, in other words, the spacecraft arrived at the asteroid and did a preliminary survey of the surface, and this is the result of that. We are now in the process of the detailed survey, which we had planned, but we tweaked it based on the preliminary survey results so that we could look more carefully at areas that were of particular interest. It's covered in more boulders than expected. What does that mean? Do we even know what that means at this point? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> For example, um, we uh, we find uh, we did thermal modeling in our which we looked at the way this uh, object was absorbing and re-radiating sun, the sunlight, and we looked at the temperature, and that indicated us something about what we expected on the surface. And we also, uh, with the Arecibo radio telescope, got echoes back. You know, we did use, used it as a radar, and we got echoes back. And both of them pointed uh, to an average size of about um, centimeter-sized particles. And now we need to understand what was it about those two techniques that were being fooled 
uh, or we need to understand better what the information in those two techniques, those were not imaging techniques. Those were techniques that were using radio science or uh, thermal emission. Uh, and uh, so, but they gave us a very accurate shape. When we got to the asteroid, it was exactly the same shape that Arecibo had predicted. And based on the Arecibo observations, which were about a decade ago, uh, of the shape and the orbit, which was determined very, very accurately by the Arecibo observations, we chose this asteroid as the target Mm -hmm. of our mission. And um, then, you know, as I said, the shape is what we expected. The composition is what we expected so far, and we have a global composition. We haven't started doing the the detailed survey uh, analysis yet. And composition meaning what it's made of. What right? it is made of. And we know the composition is essentially clays, uh, hydrated silicates, something like you, know, you would find here on Earth where you have minerals that have been weathered and they have lots of water in their, in their layers. Like the red mud of, of the Carolinas, right? Correct. Yeah. And um, so uh, you know, we have the global composition and the global shape to be what we expected. Two things that we did not expect were the number of the, the, the amount of the surface that is covered with boulders. So the, the surface is mostly these boulders. Uh, and the other thing is this particle events that got announced. And uh, these are particles that are being ejected by the surface, and we don't understand what the mechanism is. We do know that these particles that are coming off of the surface do not represent a danger to the spacecraft. But um, the study of these particles is very exciting for to us for a number of reasons. For scientific reasons, we want to understand the mechanism. Uh, they may uh, tell us where we should sample or not. For example, we haven't decided that if we find where these particle events are coming from, and if one of those areas is an area where we can deliver the spacecraft safely to do a sampling, do we want to go there and sample there, or do we want to stay away from mm-hmm. there? We need to determine how frequent these events are, if they're coming from the same area, if they're not, or are these, for example, this is, I'm just uh, thinking out loud with you mm-hmm. because this is all so new, new yeah. right? Uh, for example, could be could it be that these particle events are falling back onto a specific area of the surface that would make that area more interesting than their source? Right. Yeah. So um, we have to consider all of these things in our selection of the sample site. Mm-hmm. So we're in the process of doing that. We are also trying to understand what is producing these events. Are these um, rocks that are breaking up because of the heating of the sun? Or is this the sublimation of ice that is uh, somehow making it to the surface of this asteroid from the interior? Is there another event? We have ruled out impacts of you know smaller meteorites onto Bennu because uh, those would not produce the frequency of events that we have seen. We have right. seen at least 11 of these particle events while we were in the close orbit. And so we've ruled out impacts because there are just not that many impacts on an asteroid near the Earth um, to to explain that. And this is unique because there's only like a handful of these so-called active asteroids that we know of, right? That that is correct. There's about a dozen of these asteroids that we know of. And the first one to be identified was 133P Eltz-Prezaro. And um, you know, don't you wake up every morning thinking, you know, what is happening to <laughs> 133P today? And and uh, so uh, that one was the first one. And uh, there's about a dozen uh, of these objects. We have a number of hypotheses 
of what is producing this activity, but it has not been determined yet, even in those that we've been observing for years Mm -hmm. in the main asteroid belt. But there's about a million asteroids uh, greater than about one kilometer um, in the main asteroid belt, and only about a dozen of these objects that have been detected to be active. So... Osiris Rex just happened to stumble upon one. That is correct. So we knew that this was a possibility, mm-hmm. but we were not counting on it. One thing that we did point out um, ahead of time was that the color of Bennu is slightly blue. Not to our eyes, but to the spectrograph. It's reflecting more blue light than it does red light, so it looks blue in our in our spectrum. And there are not that many blue asteroids, and uh, most of these active asteroids are blue. Ah, so so we something there, huh? pointed out, well, you know, could this be an indication that Bennu could be active? And they said, okay, let's keep that as a contingency. Let's consider the fact that it could be active, and let's look for that activity. Um, but what we found, it surprised us because the odds were against it, and it, it also surprised us surprised us because when we were approaching the asteroid, when we were catching up with it in its orbit, we did a search for particles and for uh, natural satellites of this asteroid, and we found none. And so the report on this happened in January at the science team meeting in Tucson where I was attending. And in the morning, uh, Carl Hergen-Rother, one of our colleagues, a member of the science team, uh, reports that on approach we found no uh, natural satellites and no detectable dust down to a certain sensitivity that the cameras had. And uh, we had done, we, all this had been planned. So in the morning, uh, we get this report. It is, you know, we go, okay, that's good. No danger to the spacecraft, no problem. And then uh, in the afternoon, we all go to lunch. We come back from the from lunch and they said, we have a uh, a new item in the in the afternoon agenda. Carl has an update. Wait, guys, we found dust particles coming off of the surface with the navigation cameras. And so, you know, we just, uh, at that point, we started to consider, is this a hazard to the spacecraft? In about a day or two, we determined that that was not the case. Uh, you know, were there more? So the, the, the cadence of the observations was changed to be more sensitive to these particle events, all of these things. But... Um, it's interesting that when we looked for this, we didn't find it. When we didn't, we thought, we thought, oh, we're home free. This thing has no dust. Then we were in an orbit that was more sensitive to, you know, to small particles coming off of the surface. And we did discover them. And you all happened to be in the same room together, uh, we right? We were in the same room. And, and I just, I was like, oh, my gosh, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. And um, well, what is the mechanism? Is this a danger to the spacecraft? Do we, you know, are there more of these events? And it turns out that, yes, we detected three major ones and about, you know, eight other ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've determined the source of one of those events, and, and we're likely to determine the sources of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this adds a new dimension to our activities there. And I'll just I'll try to put this into perspective. So we knew we were going to get there, and we knew we needed to select a, sa- a sample site for the sample to take place in mid-2020. And we need to do that in the next couple months. But um, now we have another characteristic of the asteroid that uh, makes the selection of the sample site more uh, challenging, which is the fact that most of the surface is covered with big boulders, which could be a hazard to the spacecraft. But wait, one more thing. Now we have these particles. So (laughs) 
do we study the particles? Do we select the sample sites? Do we, do we combine the two activities? And it turns out we are combining the mm-hmm. two activities. We have the responsibility. The main purpose of the mission is to bring back a sample. So we have the responsibility of selecting the sample site. But we have an asteroid that is much more interesting to study, not only scientifically, which is very exciting, mm-hmm. but for the purposes of the sample site. So the sample site has become the sample site selection has become more interesting. And the science has become more interesting. Most of the science is going to take a back seat to selecting the sample site because that is our main mission. And once we have uh, obtained the sample and the spacecraft is headed back to Earth, then we can have more fun trying to understand all of the details of, you know, of the surface and the particle events mm-hmm. and what does this all mean. But uh, in, this, in the meantime, we need to collect as much data that will... Uh, address both targets. One is selecting the sample sites, and number two is characterizing this asteroid and why does it eject particles and mm-hmm. and where is it ejecting them from and what does this mean? Now, Humberto, is there a concern? I know you said that there's no concern to the spacecraft now with these, but once you do select the site and the and OSIRIS-REx goes in to make that that tag maneuver, could there be a possibility that one of these eruptions happens and damages the spacecraft? Is, is that something that planners have to think about? Absolutely, yes. So we are calculating the energy that is necessary to eject these particles. We, we know the particle velocities. We know the particle sizes. And uh, we have, we, by then we will have a much clearer uh, idea of where the particles are coming from. So, um, and how frequent does one source uh, eject particles how pre- frequently, um, and so will we select one of the sources of particles to go sample, or will we avoid it? We don't know. That is a debate that is going on within the group. Chances are we're not going to select one of the sources because we don't know enough about this mm-hmm. yet. But we could be selecting, for example, an area where the particles that do fall back onto the asteroid are more likely to fall into. Right, for so example, for those but samples there. that's that's just again that's one of the many possibilities. Mm-hmm. But um, it is it is very exciting because not only is this a huge privilege to all of us on the science team to be part of this mission, where we have a sophisticated spacecraft at a place where you know humans have never sent a spacecraft to before, but then nature has given us this wonderful gift. Your asteroid that you chose as a target for a number of reasons, you know, because you knew the the orbit and it was a potentially hazardous asteroid uh, because of its composition, it also turns out to have a surface that is challenging and more interesting than you thought. So we we are working harder. We're interacting uh, with more teams than we expected to interact with. Uh, you know, the scientists and the engineers are talking to each other a lot more often. Uh, because of these challenges, but what a privilege! What a mm-hmm. what a great uh, problem to have. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can give me some perspective, and and with the image and and the data that we have now, what would it look like if you're if you're on the surface of Bennu? What would the surface look like with these boulders? And then what would these kind of spewing events look like? Could you see it from, from the surface of, of the asteroid? Yeah, if you were standing on the surface of the asteroid, you would see it. Because, for example, let's say you are either um, 
in the in a shadow when these things happen or in the daytime as these particles go up they're going to be scattering sunlight so you're going to see bright objects against the dark sky that's one thing that you would see you might even see them uh, against the other surfaces of the asteroid and this is a very uneven surface so you have slopes that go up and down you have big rocks some of them bigger than a house you know, sitting on top of this asteroid, and we still don't know how a, a rock that is bigger than a house is just perched on the surface of this asteroid. Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. I mean, why, why isn't it half buried? Uh, we don't know. Anyway, and uh, so uh, if you were standing on the surface of Bennu, you would see lots of boulders around you. You would see some uh, craters, like, for example, as as you would see on the map, that the craters are concentrated near the equator. And this this would be true to color, so it would be kind of gray-looking? It, it would be uh, gray-looking to the human eye. It would be very dark. It The average reflectance of the surface, uh, what we call albedo, the average amount of the, that the surface reflects sunlight is 4.5%. So it absorbs 95.5% of the light that comes onto it. And the range of the reflectance goes from about 3.5% for the darkest areas to about 20% for the brightest areas, which is remarkable. That brightest area that we've seen a few little rocks that are very bright is about five times brighter than the rest of the surface. So it would look very white to our mm-hmm. to your eye, and uh, so you have a very dark surface with a few things that are really bright. Why are those rocks so bright? Why aren't they the same? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, could that mean they're not from Bennu? That could be, and that's one of my hypotheses. But more likely is that Bennu is heterogeneous, and when it you know when the parent of this asteroid broke up and gathered back together, there are some some pieces that were for example, hydrated more than others. Mm -hmm. And one thing that is a puzzle is that the Japanese spacecraft Hayabusa 2, which is at another asteroid right now, simultaneous with our mission, um, their asteroid doesn't seem to have the uh, variety of reflectances. In other words, it doesn't have the heterogeneity in the amount of light that is reflected by its rocks. So why is Ryugu, which has a similar shape, it's twice the diameter, has a similar orbit, and we think that it comes from the same part of the main asteroid belt. So why is that asteroid not have the heterogeneity on the surface that Bennu has? We don't know. Mm-hmm. But again, nature has given us a very exciting asteroid. Mm-hmm. Also to them, theirs is very interesting. But ours has got uh, more bright and dark rocks than theirs does. Mm-hmm. All of this is extremely fascinating to the science community and there's seems like so many questions that you're hoping to answer with this mission how does how does this mission fit into the larger understanding of, of planetary sciences what is this going to help us realize when this mission is done there are two main uh, motivations for the mission number one is practical uh, Bennu is a potentially hazardous asteroid that means it's not threatening earth right now but sometime in the late 22nd uh, century, so basically late next century. Mm-hmm. We'll it, still be here, right? Uh, no, <laughs> unless I take uh, much, many more vitamins than I am taking right now. Um, uh, uh, but no, late uh, in the next century, Bennu can, 
could threaten Earth, depending on how its orbit evolves. Mm -hmm. And the evolution of that orbit is difficult to predict. And right now, there's like one in 2,700 chance that it can threaten Earth in another hundred and so years. So Bennu right now is not a threat to Earth, but it is the most potentially hazardous asteroid. That means that it is has the largest chance of threatening Earth in the future. If we have to deflect Bennu or another asteroid like it, this study is going to be very useful. The other uh, main motivation for the mission is a scientific one, which is that Bennu and other asteroids like it are rich in organic molecules. These means uh, long carbon chains, which are the molecules uh, that life uses. So the inventory of organic molecules on Earth before life formed is unknown. Mm-hmm. Because life itself transforms its environment radically and it erases any record of what what came before it. So by studying Bennu and bringing back a sample, we will have the inventory of organic molecules that existed on Earth before life formed. That is going to let us know much better how life formed on Earth, and we still don't know how, mm-hmm. and how life might have formed and evolved elsewhere, like on Mars, the moons of Jupiter, or planets around other stars. So the origin of life on Earth and elsewhere is very much a mystery that Bennu can help us understand. So those were the two main motivations for this mission. So basically, how did we get here and what's going to prevent us from being smashed out of existence? Indeed. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, what, what's next for OSIRIS-REx? So this is, this is all amazing imagery, but this is this is just the beginning, right? What, what's is. ahead for you? What What's next? So we are in the process of doing what's called detailed survey. We're doing these maneuvers closer to the asteroid and, uh, you know, at, and, and noon local time so we get no shadows or also, you know, when we have long shadows that both things give us different information. Right, the about, long shadows can tell you how tall uh, something is or something, right? right? And, and, the, and the, the noon will basically tell us how much light each thing reflects independent of its uh, topography. And um, so we're in the process of doing that. And then once we've done that, we're going to have the candidate sample sites. We're going to select two of those, and so the primary and the backup. And then we're going to take the spacecraft close to those candidate sites and image them and do spectroscopy and do all these things much more in much more detail. And then in the middle of 2020, we're going to go down to the uh, sample site collect the sample, and then put it on this capsule that the spacecraft brings back to Earth, and then we'll shoot into the uh, Utah desert for us to recover it and start analyzing it in 2023. Wonderful. Uh, So we've been speaking with Umberto Campins. He's a co-investigator and member of the science team on OSIRIS-REx, also a professor of physics and astronomy and the head of planetary sciences at the University of Central Florida. Thank you so much for uh, sharing what you know. It's been fun. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Here at WMFE, we are in our silent pledge drive. So that means I'm here to remind you that our program is supported by you, the listener. So if you value this program and the independent journalism this organization provides, give a gift of support. You can find out all the information on how to do that on our website at WMFE.org. If you pick up an Are We There Yet mission patch, hey, those contributions go to fund this program. The conversation continues online. Give us a follow on Facebook. Just search Are We There Yet Podcast, or you can send us a tweet. We're at AWTYMars. Let's get the conversation going online. Or if you have a story idea or a guest pitch, you can send me an email, Are We There Yet at WMFE.com. 
WMFE.org. Follow along with all the space news from this organization at WMFE.org slash space. Until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.